0: morning. Well, if you're visiting us, you won't know that we've been uh, working our way through the book of Numbers in the Bible, and uh, you can see today we've come to chapter 21, and the passage that we're looking at is verses 4 to 9. But the title that I've been given today to speak on is, Can the Old Testament illustrate the New Testament? Well, the easy answer to that is yes. Now I can sit down. (laughs) Um, But probably they're expecting a bit more than that. So how can the Old Testament illustrate the New Testament? When I was young, there was a little saying that um, said something like, the old is in the new revealed. Is that right? Is that the right way around? (laughs) The new is in the old concealed. So basically saying that you need the Old Testament and the New Testament, they come as a package. You can't have one without the other. They don't make sense. The Old Testament doesn't make sense if you haven't got the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't make sense if you haven't got the Old Testament. You can't have one without the other. If you do, you haven't got the complete picture. They come as a package. So this morning we're thinking about can the Old Testament illustrate the New Testament. But first of all, let's think about this incident that we've got before us in Numbers 21. Following the miraculous escape from Egypt, the Israelites, of course, missed the opportunity to enter into God's promised land because of their unbelief. And this has led to them being having wandered around through the desert for nearly 40 years. A journey that we've seen has been marked by hardship, by attacks from without, disputes within. The camp itself was not always at one. It's not what you need when you're trying to lead thousands of people through the wilderness, when you're trying to lead thousands of people on uh, a journey... I remember going on a school trip to Minehead uh, a few years ago. No, I didn't actually go. I was just the chairman of governors actually back at the school worrying because they lost four of them. <laughs> and uh, they eventually turned up. But these four boys decided to wander off like you do. And, but you imagine... You know, that, that's bad enough with just a, a, a youth group or a, a school group, but having thousands of people to lead through the wilderness. Well, in 21, chapter 21 and verse 4, we found that, surprise, surprise, if you've been following what we've been looking at, the same sort of thing has happened before. The people grew impatient on the way they spoke against God and Moses coming up with the usual complaints about the food, about the water, or the lack of it. But let's not be too judgmental, because we could have been amongst them, couldn't we? I guess someone said to me the other day, can you imagine eating manna for 40 years? You know, it probably would get a bit boring after a while. But, you know, they they were not seeing that God was giving them what they needed. And they were getting a bit fed up. But there was another problem here. They had to go round the country of Edom. Now, that meant a much longer journey. And if you look back to the previous chapter, chapter 20, you'll find that Moses had tried to negotiate a route through Edom, through their land, but they'd refused to allow it. They, they said, no, sorry, there's no way you're coming through here. It would have been much quicker. Moses said, you know, we'll pay for everything. You know, we'll, we won't trample on, your, on all your um, crops and stuff. We'll be very careful. No, they weren't having it. So just to make sure that Moses understood, we read they sent out a large and powerful army. Just to sit there and watch. You remember the sort of things that Russia does to Ukraine and and incidents like that? They just put the army there just so they know. So, the incident that we're looking at happened just after Israel had had their first victory over the Canaanites as they defeated the king of Arad after he had attacked them in chapter 21 verses 1 to 3. So the thinking of the Israelite people probably went along the lines of this, that why are we going to go round the edge of Edom when we could go straight through, it would be much quicker. We've just defeated this king. Why don't we just attack Edom and God will help us. Let's defeat them as well. We've done it once. God was with us, so let's do it again. But they were forgetting that the king of Arad had actually attacked them. And God had given them victory over him. You see, Moses knew, if you read in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 2 to 6, you find that Moses was instructed not to try and take the land of Edom or Moab because these were the lands that God had given to the descendants of Esau and Lot. So there was a good reason why Moses wasn't going through Edom, wasn't trying to attack Edom. He was keeping to what God had told him to do. So we come to the situation that we find, and we're reminded that, as so often is the case, disobedience has consequences. And the people showed their disobedience by their attitude to God and to Moses. So in verses 6 to 9, if you've got your Bible open, you'll see there in chapter 21 that following the people's impatience and their rebellion, not just against Moses, but against God. Look at the link in a, in a moment, we'll look at the link between this passage and Jesus' words in John 3. But first of all, in chapter 6, the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many... Israelites. Oh, I'm sorry. Many Israelites died. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. Um, in chapter... Disappeared, have I? Have I died? No? I'm back. I'm back. I'm, back. I'm here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, In chapter 7 and verse 8, the beginning of chapter 7, the people repented, confessed their sin, their rejection of God, and they begged for mercy. As so often happens, second part of verse 7, Moses came before God on behalf of the people. Verse 8, God heard and provided a way of rescue, lifting up the bronze snake on a pole. Verses 8 and 9, faith was rewarded with life. They looked at the bronze snake and they were healed. But how does the Old Testament illustrate the New Testament through this incident? Well, we need to refer to the gospel reading that we had in John chapter 3. Because Jesus clearly refers to this incident in John 3 and verse 14 when he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert... So the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. See, this story in Numbers is a story that every Jewish child would have known. It was part of Israel's history and it demonstrated God's justice, God's love and grace to his people. But remember the context of Jesus using this illustration. He is speaking to Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who came to him secretly at night. Jesus has told him that to really know God and enter into his kingdom, he needs to be born again. I don't know if you heard, but when Mark was reading that story that incident from John, little Armani, he was sitting next to us when he said, you have to be born again. She went, what? <laughs> Which is actually what Nicodemus did. <laughs> what? Really? You have to be born again? And Jesus was saying to him, he needed to be born again. He needed to be born anew. He needed to be born from above. He needed to have a spiritual birth as well as a physical birth. And it's a good idea to use stories, isn't it? To, to use topical incidents, to use life experiences to explain the gospel and God's message to us. And you'll have noticed our preachers here hopefully doing it often, as I did recently with the Tesco bag. It's what's inside that counts. And, uh, you know, these are things that help us to understand And so Jesus was doing the same thing as he referred back to this bronze snake. So let's look at the parallels between the Moses story and Jesus' teaching. First of all, we find that the people in the incident back in Numbers were in danger of death because of their sin, because of their disobedience. In fact, many had already died due to their sin against God. And Moses. And we all here today, although we may not like it, we all here today and everyone in the world are under the judgment of death because of sinfulness. Paul declares in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he goes on in chapter 6, verse 23 of Romans, to say that the wages, the consequences of death, of sin, is death. The wages of sin is death. In fact, the result of sin for us is eternal separation from God. That's the bad news. But the good news is this. The glorious news is that God provides the agent of salvation, of rescue from disaster. In the Old Testament, it was the bronze snake that Moses had put up in the middle of the camp. In the New Testament, it is the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. And we see that as Jesus explains, the agent of salvation is lifted up, is lifted up. Carson says in his commentary, the deepest point of connection between the bronze snake and Jesus was in the act of being lifted up. The serpent was lifted up on a pole. Jesus was lifted up on the cross. A wonderful hymn, Man of Sorrow, says, lifted up was he to die. the next thing we see is that the people were saved by looking at or believing in God's agent of salvation. It was an act of faith. They had to look to the bronze snake to be healed. If they refused to look, they would have not been healed. It was that simple. There's a bronze snake. And I guess there may have been people there that said, I don't know if I'll bother to look. Perhaps, perhaps I'll get better in a few days' time. Perhaps there's another way. Perhaps I won't bother to look. If they didn't, they wouldn't have recovered. Their death was certain. And if we don't exercise faith by looking to the one who's been crucified for us, we too will miss out on the salvation that is on offer. A woman called Amelia M. Hull wrote the following words in 1832 on the night she came to Christ after hearing a local evangelist. There is life for a look at the crucified one. There is life at this moment for thee. Then look, sinner, look unto him and be saved, unto him who was nailed to the tree. Look, look, look and live there is life for a look at the crucified one. There is life at this moment for thee. So we can see how the Old Testament illustrates here the New Testament. Going in again. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Am I back? I'm back. Woo. I think someone doesn't want you to hear this, so keep praying. (laughs) But there are always limitations to using illustrations to explain the glory of God and the work that he's done for us. There are three important and vital differences between the lifting up of the bronze snake and the lifting up of the Son of Man. And they're important that we pick up on these. You see, the snake was only a piece of bronze. It had no saving power in itself. In fact, it eventually became a problem for the Israelites as they started worshipping it as an idol. And King Hezekiah, we read in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 4, had it destroyed, whereas Jesus as God on earth was invested with saving power. And it's through the sacrifice of his life's blood that we can be saved, cleansed and born anew. Secondly, the lifted up bronze snake gave the Israelites their physical life back. But you know, it was only temporary because they still went on and died. What the lifted up Son of Man offers to all who believe in him is eternal life. We're reminded that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. In the following verse in John, we are told that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Of course, we will all face physical death unless the Lord returns before that time, But physical death for the believer is a gateway. It's a continuation of the eternal life that we receive at the point of salvation, the moment we give our lives to Christ. As we're often reminded, eternal life is not just about quantity. It's not just about that it's everlasting, that it has no beginning, that it has no end. It's about quality. It's about the quality of life that God gives us. Jesus prayed to his father in John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they should know you, the only true God, and him you have sent, Jesus Christ. And the third vital difference is that healing, salvation, through that bronze snake was limited to those people that were there. It was limited to the Israelites. Whereas the salvation offered by Jesus as he died on the cross is for everyone. It's for whosoever. It is for the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So as we've seen, yes, The Old Testament can illustrate the New Testament and there's no better passage to illustrate it than the one we're looking at this morning however the important thing isn't really about that the vital question this morning is have you looked to the cross and seen Jesus dying there if you have What have you done about it? And what have you seen as you looked at the cross? Did you just see an innocent man being ill-treated? Did you just see a good man dying there as an example of how we should persevere and, and carry on even against great trials and difficulties? Or when you looked, did you see the sacrifice of God Did you see the one who alone can bring you salvation? The one who alone can make you new? The only one who can give you peace with God, forgive you your sins, free you from guilt, and give you an assurance of eternal life lived with God by your side? I was struck by those words that we just sang earlier by Stuart Townend. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I pray that each one of us this morning will have looked with faith at the one who was lifted up for us, And we'll know him today as our Lord and Saviour, the one who deserves all our love, thanks, adoration and praise. Amen.